Architecture doesn't exist in a vacuum and neither should you. Whether it's a design critique or understanding how design connects to a larger world, gaining insight is invaluable for architecture students. Well, actually, all students in general. In these interview sessions, guests from professors to professionals and everyone in between will share their experiences and thoughts on design and the built environment. In this episode, I'm pleased to welcome an old friend of mine, Camille Mitchell. And for those of you guys that don't know Camille, she's basically the poster child. I hate to say it that way, Camille, but you have been getting a lot of cred as of late as a strong voice of females and black females in Canadian architecture scene. Uh, you're currently the vice president of VIDA and it just, and we'll go to the roster and all the great achievements you've made. But first and foremost, I wanna introduce you and say, please welcome and tell us about yourself. Hey, thank you, Vince. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast. So I'm, I'm Camille Mitchell. I am, reside here in Toronto. And I know Vince, because once upon a time, he taught me way back in the day at the University of Waterloo. Was um, it the last century? No, it wasn't the last it was, century. Waterloo was in Waterloo when you taught me. So Yeah, okay, yes. Is that a good <laughs> reference? <laughs> okay. Waterloo was in Waterloo when we met. Um, the University of Waterloo School of Architecture, that is. Yes, and uh, currently I work, I'm an architect with Gensler's Toronto office. And as you were saying, as I am one of the founding members of BEA Toronto or BEAT, which is Building Equality in Architecture Toronto. It should be changed to Building Equity in Architecture Toronto, but we'll get there. Um, Which has now grown to different chapters across the country. So there's Mm -hmm. a group in the prairies, a group in the Atlantic area as well. And also I'm a founding member of BETA, Mm -hmm. um, Black Architects and Interior Designers Association and other things. Um, I recently was um, uh, recruited or um, referred. (laughs) I I am now a member of ULI's Women's Leadership Mm. Initiative. And thank you. And um, I am also, um, okay, yes, I'm part of University of Waterloo's task um, advisory board for their race and equity task force and i am also sitting um, a part of the dean's advisory board for ryerson um university engineering and architectural science yeah sorry i threw your name on that one too but um but thank 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 you camille for for joining us on that one so camille i i don't want to start with all of the kind of associations necessarily but we will Mm -hmm. certainly get there but i think a lot of people just want to hear like we've got a sense of you being a student at waterloo but can you just tell us when you were a student again how many students uh, people of color like did you feel like we did an earlier episode on black lives matter and the and architecture and just like being black in the architecture education system can you describe your experience well i think it starts with before i went to waterloo cuz okay. um, i was born and raised and grew up in hamilton ontario and i went to french immersion school so i grew accustomed to being one of only or one of two black kids or one of five visible minority mm-hmm. kids in my um, in my classroom. So going to Waterloo in Waterloo, um, again, Waterloo. <laughs> Are you going to say Waterloo again? Because then you get like a bingo card for this. Yeah, Waterloo in Waterloo. And I, I like to give credit to that because I um, Cambridge is a different story. Um, so we'll leave that there. Um, it, it is predominantly white area and university so but being um one of two 
black students my own class um it wasn't odd to me or wasn't wasn't foreign it's something i expected because that's the environment i grew up in mm -hmm. um and it even took me the other um, black student in the class I didn't recognize she was there for at least two weeks because we were, <laughs> we had these group assignment projects that we were staying at the brickworks and we were on field trips, you were with the group. And then it wasn't until we, and then um, she sat on the other side of the studio. And I'm like, hey, she's been here all this time. <laughs> it took, we're well, good friends now. Can we just actually say who Anne-Marie is? Anne-Marie Armstrong, she's fantastic. Um, she's a founding partner, principal of her own firm, AMP Studio. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was also at Waterloo and Waterloo. And then for grad school, she went off to Yale. Mm -hmm. yep. so, there. so so then you, I mean, you're in good company, but just coming back to you and, you know, you saw Anne-Marie was also the other uh, black female. And it's, it's interesting, those two black females. I mean, like, you know, yeah. those flats where it's like in America, the ACSA had released uh, like, you know, black female licensed architects constitute like what, 0.2% of the. Uh, I, of that the was population. a stat in 2007. Yeah. And 2017, it's 0.3%. Oh, no, it's like. Two, that's crazy. It's, you know, yeah, it's like, still zero. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But okay, so that's unfortunate. But like, what? Like that's like lightning strike. But then talk about the experience, like, because in the previous podcasts, again, you guys can listen to the episode. I'll put the link in the show notes. In previous episode, we we had situations where some of our black architecture students had commented on uh, notions of uh, the imposter syndrome scenario, or you know, I gotta work twice as hard to get half the credit. Now, did you find that that was a, a similar experience for you? Um, I think the working twice as hard, half the credit, um, I think that mentality was um, brought to me before school, architecture school mm -hmm. by, my, by being, like being a minority mm -hmm. all my life kind of thing. So, and that's because my parents are from Trinidad and them coming here for, that's what they instilled in all their kids is to work. Mm -hmm twice as hard right. to get half as much. And um, so, and I think entering, before I even entered Waterloo for architecture, I had done um, a placement in at Garwood Jones and Hannum Architects in Hamilton. So Trevor Garwood Jones is one of Hamilton's um, mm -hmm. finer architects yep. of um, Hamilton Place. And at the time he's doing the GO bus terminal. So just working with Trevor's office and that being an office of roughly eight, or, or nine people. Mm -hmm. And they were for the most part white men. Yeah. So, and um, they were all helpful. So I, I didn't have that, <laughs> um, I guess, discomfort for, um, of my race going through mm -hmm. school. Okay. But, but then just coming back to the notion of work. So you're saying like, you know, statistically, you weren't surprised at the kind of turnout or, or mm -hmm. visible population. Um, but then also just coming back to the notion of work and expectation, uh, I want to come back to the notion of like you were working and the architecture as a kind of uh, academic endeavor is quite taxing, right? Yeah. You know that like, you know, all nighters or you try not to do them, but it's, it's pretty intensive. And then also, you know, you're writing an essay and reading a book and doing a studio project and calculating beam deflections. That's mm -hmm. a lot of pressure. Did you find that there was any difference in, in your experience versus say like, I'm not even gonna point at like, like uh, another black or white female, but I'm saying like just other say um, like Asian or, or people of other uh, people of color in, in the class. Like, did you find that there was any other challenges that you faced over what they did? 
Not in the subjects. Like, I think because I, when, when I talk about my education, it's sort of like a revisionist history that oh, okay. I'm looking at it now. Um, so because it's more pertaining to the history and what we studied mm-hmm. um, versus um, how hard it was. It was taxing. And I more, instead of comparing myself to other races in my class, I more compared mm-hmm. myself to other programs. Because right. um, oh, yeah. at the time, because I remember my second day of school was 9-11. Mm-hmm. And I, I, did not know, I did not know 9-11 happened until 9 p.m. at night because it was a Tuesday. We had yep. studio during the day and we had um, um, uh, ARC, ARC 101 at nighttime. Yep. Yep. And I, I, I heard overheard conversation, but that's how heavy our class load was because I came home at 9 p.m. and everyone is like stuck to the TV and I'm trying to figure out what happened. No, but I remember when that happened too because I was teaching and, and I remember all of us were just huddled around the kind of TVs just watching and going, is that like, there's that one or two TVs in the building. Yeah, and because and I didn't have a cell phone and things like that. So I remember seeing it like in the cafeteria or uh, on the TV, but I wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. It was just something over there because school still open. I wasn't calling there was no facebook when we when you taught me mm-hmm. in school that's how oh, long yeah. ago it was. i'm sorry about that so um <laughs> yeah there's no social media so you just heard what you heard when you heard mm-hmm. it so that was so that um so comparing myself in school is more the workload of my roommates or mm-hmm. um other students i didn't um necessarily look at the workload of other ethnicities okay because I was going to say that, um, you know, in some instances, we've had uh, students kind of just, uh, you know, outright, you know, it's a free and uh, open space here where mm-hmm. like they said, I went and approached the professor in my first year history theory class and said, hey, it's February, it's Black History Month. Can we talk about something pertaining to architecture by Black architects, whether it's current ones or in the past? And they were just kind of rebuffed and just said, well, no, it's not, we're not covering that today, right? Or, next, yeah. or the rest and of the And I month. think that's like the whole revisionist history, because I would have never done that. Yeah. I would have never um, approached anybody to talk about anything other, because I say now with um, my education, day one, you start with the pyramids and you never mm-hmm. go back to Africa kind of thing. Um, <laughs> maybe some cave paintings or something, but um, some carvings and then that's it. So, um, and then also with going to Waterloo, Rome is your end goal. It's romanticized yeah. from day one. So yep. you're sort of preparing yourself mm-hmm. to understand all the classics yep. um, of what that is. So, and I think, um, because um, it's just even outside of architecture. I, I was just listening to another podcast. Um, they were just talking about what 2020 is. Like 2020 is not canceled. Mm-hmm. It's the year of awakening. It's the year we needed. Right. And and it's um it's sort of because yeah because I think myself who I am today I would encourage people to be like hey something's missing yeah. versus just going along and going along to get along kind of thing. Well, I was gonna say like do you do you find like I find that. Like- Canadian culture, we tend to be, you know, unfortunately, it's it's almost like uh, pathological pacifism or, you know, yeah. peacefulness where like, we're going to be nice just to be nice. And it's like, oh, something bad happens and you just kind of let it slide. Right. So so sometimes you just need to call it out. And I think that that's perfectly valid, especially in today's era. Right. Mm-hmm. But I was wondering, like, 
again, I come from a very old, old place. Like, I mean, we didn't have really computers back in the day when I was studying mm. architecture. And I remember like sticks. Yeah, sticks and yeah, clay, clay tablets were the thing yeah. we had. And maybe the abacus if we were lucky. Um, <laughs> but for me, I remember studying in Waterloo as well. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I was the, in, in my class at, at the graduation, um, uh, I was the only uh, Chinese guy that, that graduated, um, which was kind of weird, right? Um, and I can tell you in first year, way back in the day, uh, it, you know, we were all first year, we, and you didn't have model supplies, right? Like you had to go to like the home hardware mm -hmm. to buy model supplies. So I remember one of my, ca one of my Caucasian friends, right? He, he like first year buddies, uh, he decided to help, help me out and drive me out to the home hardware. And it was busy. So of course I went into the store, he was parking the car, right? And I proceeded to go and ask the guy that was stocking the shelves. I said, hey, um, you know, excuse me, can you tell me where I can find the wooden dowels, right? guy totally ignored me right mm. didn't say a single thing and I was like okay maybe he's just really in his work maybe he's got like headphones on or something but he wasn't right I just said excuse me can you and he looked at me and I said can you tell me where you keep your wooden dowels right he looked at me for a sec and then he just walked away right <laughs> and and at that point I was like what is going on here and again I'm from Toronto right so this is mm -hmm. weird to me right and then my buddy comes in and he's like hey I just parked the car okay uh where, where are the dowels right I'm like I, I don't know before he finishes his sentence, and before I say I can, I don't know, the same guy comes up to him and says, sir, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until then that I realized, hey, this is not cool. And of yeah. course, I, was, I didn't say a single thing until we were back in studio. And of course, my, my, my buddy who drove me, he was like, he was kind of making fun. He was like, look, man, like, do you speak English? Did you not yeah. tell the guy that you're looking for wood dowels? And I was like, yeah, I did. I mm -hmm. actually did. And at, at that point, I realized that that was a weird difference in treatment, right? Yeah. I, I hope to God you didn't have that when you were in school. But I know that some people, it's it's more passive than than mm -hmm. the, than stuff that I've experienced, right? Yeah. Um, honestly, I don't have, I don't have, maybe I do not recall anything as overt as that um, mm -hmm. with my personal experience. Um, yeah. Because the reason the reason why I'm asking about this is because moving into your professional life and everything else, like I'm trying to find out, Camille, what's the origin story that made Camille the superhero that she is right now, right? Like, because okay. uh, I'm trying to find like there's that watershed moment that often happens that says, okay, whether it was an industry or in school that said, no, no, no that's not right. I'm going to do this. Like, yeah, I, I, I know when that was. Um, yeah. So after um, graduating from Waterloo, I, I was working with KPMB. Mm -hmm. And um, so five years in, so roughly 2015, um, Shirley Bloomberg and Marianne mm -hmm. McKenna gathered all the females in the meeting room. And um, so before this, um, so it would have been 2007, um, before, between undergrad and grad school, I was preparing, I was working at a firm in Hamilton and then the cover of architect magazine came around that's mm -hmm. where I saw the point two stat of percentage yep. of black women in architecture so I read the article I was like oh interesting because <laughs> that's the first time I noticed the data mm -hmm. of um, basically the completely that I selected a career that I wasn't in and um, that's when I run my father came they that's how my parents ended up in Canada my dad was a drafts person mm -hmm. draftsman that's cool so in high school, when I was, I qualified to go 
to McMaster for engineering and Waterloo for architecture. My dad was like, Camille, go into engineering. And uh, <laughs> he was just like, it's just like, like one of the one career advices that my dad, he was just like, go into engineering. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, no, I want to like, I want architecture. I like the art and design. And this is what I wanted to do, right? After rebellious my kids, rebellious kids, man. After my workplace with Garvey Jones, because Garvey Jones like broke it down that you know architecture is not all drawings. There's a lot of paperwork, but mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm ready for this, right? So when I saw the article in 2007, I was trying to figure out, oh, was he right? Was he like, was this? Should I have gone into engineering? Mm-hmm. But at this point, I was already registered for grad school, and I'm sort of like in it commitment right and um but i think at the time i saw interesting cool and i just put the article aside and that was that so years later working at kpmb um marianne and shirley gathered the female architects or intern architects whichever position you were Mm -hmm. and they were just talking about i think it was probably 2015 um a canadian article just came out and said only 29 percent of licensed architects are women Mm -hmm. so they were expressing like they can't believe it's only 29% because they thought during their time of going through schools that we'd be at par, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I'm just listing cool because I'm thinking I'm coming from 0%. Mm-hmm. So if you guys as white women are going to complain about 29%, <laughs> that's cool. And so at the time, Shirley had started more or less the roots of BEAT. So she was yeah. meeting with another group of um, women in the office and they were all reading Lean In mm-hmm. by yep. Sheryl Sandberg and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But when I, so I'm going back and forth with my timeline. So one of my first work terms, ironically, was with Gensler's New York office. Mm -hmm. So this is at this point, like 10 years earlier. So 2005. Um, So because they share your picture around, um, one of my colleagues invited me to a NOMA meeting. Mm-hmm. in New York City. So that's when I was introduced to the National Organization of Minority Architects. Mm-hmm. So at the time, seeing the article in 2007 of 0.2%, the woman on the article, I had actually seen her at events in New York. Mm-hmm. And some of the other women featured in the article, I had seen them before. So um, so I, at least I had that experience of networking and mentorship and mm-hmm. also having Anne-Marie in my class, Tara Keynes Douglas, yep. three years after me. Black people in architecture, my dad being a drafts person, draft man. Um, and, and also from high school and working in the different firms that I did, um, I and at that point being preparing for grad school, the profession wasn't that daunting to me to see the article at 0.2%. So I shared that story with um, KPMB and that's and also at the time in 2015 I wasn't doing anything besides working like yep. I wasn't involved in anything so I'm like you okay time on your hands doing architecture you're like hey let me start something up yeah no it was already started and then so it was one of those like share your stories so and um I was just looking for some extracurricular activity yeah. I was like I was um I think at the time through Bill Curran I was um I was um, um, part like I was mentoring with the RAC syllabus program, but I was oh. just looking for something else to do. And so I started attending beat meetings and also I was looking, I was looking at his opportunity to network yep. and to, to connect. So that was fine. So I was doing that for over a year. And then um, Ian Chodakoff invited me to sit on a panel 
for IDEX, which, which I think was the last IDEX in uh, 2016. So at the time I got the email and I was like, why does he want me on this panel? Mm -hmm. Kind of thing. Cause it was like seven women within the design, the AEC, like the construction and architecture and engineer. I remember Elaine Pantel, who's like a lead um, an, um, accountant. Um, Betsy Williamson, who I knew through Beat, yep. but she was a, like the partner of a firm. So I'm like, if they needed women, I work at KPMB. There's like other women. And just like, so right off the bat, I'm like, oh, he needs a, like, a, a black perspective mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I was reluctant because up to that point, I never talked about race mm -hmm. within the profession. And so, um, so the the panel discussion turned to race and I just essentially regurgitated what I had read right. in the architect magazine um, at that time, probably almost like nearly eight years earlier. And um, so I was, and Amory, Amory's a constant figure. She, um, she, I think had just moved back from LA. So she was also in the crowd. Um, so afterwards, Amory and I were just talking about the panel and um, two students um, in architecture approached us and said, thank you. So one was a black woman and the other one, I believe was Sri Lankan descent. Mm -hmm. And they said, thank you. Cause they never heard anyone talk about race. Mm -hmm. And I was like, cool. And then the other student, she's like, what about me? Right. And Amory and I were like, we don't like, like, she's like, what about my, like my ethnicity, my ethnic group? Where, where's like, the data about me right. and we we're just like we don't know and it's kind of like um conversation that i even far between amory and i were like we're not that familiar with south asian mm -hmm. people especially women in the design profession either mm -hmm. so um so so that was I'm like okay so that i think at after that conversation i was more comfortable talking about it but unknown to me at the same time alex um, boscovic from the yeah. global mail was in that crowd mm -hmm. so then he contacted me later about an article for globe and style that would that came out in january mm -hmm. and so again alex and i had a light conversation about diversity right. or lack thereof in the profession and in an, in my other life outside, I was talking to Emily Mills. Emily Mills worked at was a CBC producer, mm -hmm. and at the same time, because it was Canada's one fiftieth anniversary, two thousand seventeen. Yep. Yeah, she was putting together her own project. Where it started off as a photo essay that mm -hmm. she was collecting. She wanted to just chronicle one hundred and fifty Black women mm -hmm. that were doing like a contemporary story because. Oftentimes with Black History Month coming in February, 2017, we all often reference either American statistics or American or, heroes, but she was like, what are people doing today? Mm -hmm. And within their, in making waves in their profession. Right. Um, so that's, and even when I met um, Emily, I, I met her at one of her networking events, which was How She Hustles. And I was, uh, I was just, I was, just, it's all my circles tied together. I was trying to, I was showing like a, at the time I was aspiring in my spare time to do um, like t-shirt designs for Caravana uh -huh, because right. I didn't like 
the marketing for Toronto's Care Man Festival. <laughs> so everyone there thought I was in graphics and they're oh. like, cool, is this what you do? And this is a room full of black women. And, and I was like, no, no, I'm an architect. And everyone's like, oh, <laughs> like they never met a black architect. So even seeing that re- realization amongst the black community, because again, coming from Camille, mm-hmm. I knew Anne-Marie, I knew this person, I knew, you know, I met these people in New York. So meeting yeah. other Black female architects, I work with architects all day, was mm-hmm. not um, new. So so of the 150 women that Emily um, featured, my story was pulled out for the new special. So right. I had, uh, um, so they came to KPMB and, um, did a little video blog mm-hmm. and then uh, I did a little career day at my uh, sister's school and whatnot. So CBC followed me. Yeah. So those stories with the Globe and Mail coming out in January and literally two weeks later, um, um, the CBC story coming out, mm-hmm. all of a sudden I had like national attention. Yeah, you, were, you were everywhere, man. Right. And then since then, it's been I've been going kind of thing. So following the CBC and the Globe and Mail, that's when I started getting contacted by other black professionals, black designers saying I've never met another. I've been working in interior design and never met another black professional. Mm-hmm. I've been working as a drafts person, never met. So we did. So and then at the same time, everyone's just contacting me. So I'm like, OK, let's bring everybody together, because that's what we were doing with Beat, bringing people together to have the conversation. So we didn't have a group formed at the time. It's just literally our first event was called ICU, just to acknowledge and recognize each other. Right. And so with that, um, it was really informal meeting, but just even listening to other people's stories. So that's when I like the whole revisionist history happens because people who are told that like, because you understand the prerequisites to get into architecture or similar programs is quite extensive mm-hmm. with with credits. And then being told that um, math, for instance, is too hard to do yeah. this or, or being streamed to this form of education versus that. Mm-hmm. Also career-wise, because um, my dad was like, go into engineering, but he never forced me to go into engineering. Right. Because again, culturally, some, ethnic, some Black communities may not see architecture and design as a... As a um, it's a lucrative career. Lucrative career. Exactly. So, because um, you don't have the same um, disproportionate representation in medicine or law mm-hmm. or accounting. So, going into architecture. And um, yeah, so there's the streaming. And then also, just um, also, a lot of them felt they were working in isolation, not mm-hmm. having that network to. So, um, so through a series of networking meetings, we, um, so that's where beta formed. And what was, uh, then we, um, I met Dean Dory Tunstall that same summer through um, my colleague, mm-hmm. John Peterson, because his wife was the associate dean at Ryerson, Yana. Yep. Um, not at Ryerson, she used to work at Ryerson. Yeah, no, she, she used to be there, yeah. And now she's at OCAD, so through. God, man, you gotta make it political. Jeez, other people listen, man. Okay, yep. Don't give me in trouble. Okay, you're editing. Um, um, I'm just talking. I'm just storytelling. Okay, I'm okay, storytelling. Okay, okay. So okay. through through John and Yana Midori, and then so later, um, in October, one of the first beta events we did besides Meetup was um, when Kunle Ademi came yep. as the 
visiting um, uh, resident architect for the program that they were doing at OCAD. Um, Yana and Dory deliberately invited our group of, our, of Black architects to attend. And um, just talking to them afterwards, they're happy they did because there was miscommunication amongst some faculty of saying, thank you, David. And um, just calling him, because there's technically only one famous Black architect male out there, right? Oh my God, are you serious? They yeah. did that? Yeah, so, um, so from then, like, so we, when then we, um, Sam Obo was our featured guest. So for the last two or three years, we've been meeting informally, um, nothing like formally organized at the time, but just more networking. Some members within the groups were working together on their own projects to, instead of going at it alone at mm -hmm. firms, building each other up. Um, and then, so I'm doing that in Beat at the same time. And the difference I found with Beats um, versus beta was beat was more about retention within the profession. And, yeah. um, and while beta was, we were focused on outreach mm -hmm. and also like pure networking and support at the time until 2020. Yeah. And so then, so then 2020, mm -hmm. let's just talk about it right now. It gets, I mean, aside from the boiling point of like the pandemic and the George Floyd scenario, I mean, there, it, it, it was like, pretty much um, you saw those protests in the streets and uh, you had people talking about, you know, all lives matter versus black lives matter. And it was just like a mess. Right. Mm -hmm. So how did you feel given that, you know, your role uh, is, is pretty prominent at, at that point in time, you know, by that point in time in Canada, it was like, okay, Camille's really, you know, become a kind of icon, right. Mm -hmm. You must have sure. No, I'm I'm like as as a person who taught you way back when you were a little kid little not, diapers not, yeah we'll talk about like how much i actually know all of you guys but um the, the thing is in in that particular instance right mm -hmm. it must have been like the, your phone must have ringing off the hook yeah um so yeah so i think um professionally you i think one of the saving graces about going to gensler um, at that time was prior to George Floyd's um, murder. I was um, connected because it, no, it, Gensler being the largest firm in the States mm -hmm. and also really involved with NOMA, yep. the, the National Organization of Minority Architects, they had a, a monthly meeting of, of NOMA members within the office. So, um, so following, I call it the Black Square Week when every firm threw up their Black Square in support of um, Black Lives Matter. I say Black Lives Mattering <laughs> all yeah. of a sudden, right? Um, uh, and even the initial statement that Gensler provided, um, what I appreciated um, was that group did like an emergency call. They're like, because usually like, it wasn't our monthly meeting. It's just like, everybody, let's meet now. Mm -hmm. So it was, I was able to have a conversation with other Black designers. Right across the states and especially at the times those are in the major metrop metropolises were rioting and, yeah. and and protest were really heavy in their own cities exactly. versus um, we had activity in toronto but not to that level and because so, even some of the conversations you have is like when people inside or outside the office ask about how are you doing 
is it really about you or is it as more of a spectator sport? It's like, uh-huh. especially just over listening, especially with the American offices, mm-hmm. it's like, are we asking, how are you doing? Or are we asking how, like, what if you witness kind of thing? Is the building mm-hmm. secure? Um, wow. Kind of thing when you, cause especially when you're reporting, like when you're asking about like, how's the city doing? Are you more interested in like what speeches were given at that protest? What, you know what I mean? Or were you more interested in like, the damage that um, um, pulled out. So, and even like the initial statement that Gensler provided, it was, it was like the past week has been difficult Mm -hmm. and, and there was no acknowledgement of anti-Black sentiment in the initial statement. And so just, so the group, and at the time, a lot of members of NOMA were part of the group it just felt um, like a bit tone deaf and detached, right? Mm -hmm. This statement. And so, because it had, it has not been the last two weeks for a lot of us, right? And and I think that was a conversation that was helpful because yes, George Floyd was murdered, but that is not new in America. So this realization for some people of racial disparity may be new, but it's not new to me. And therefore, for me to tell you it's not new to me, I and I and I've re- and I'm inside of colleagues and friends just that reassurance that I felt like it was um, the week of like Camille, I'm not racist, am I? Kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so, um, so you, you would have conversations with them, but it was just sort of like because how many um, injustices have happened, especially to black bodies before then was not new to me, but I still have to go to work. I still have to continue. So now I, um, you sort of felt there's also responsibility on me to assure you that you're okay, that I'm okay with you kind of thing. If- do, you, do you find that that's a lot more onerous now like I mean like that was that's what I felt like within weeks of George Floyd's murder and I think and I I, and I sorry it just kind of mounted up I mean then you brought Taylor like every like I mean you got you see no and I think like um um and and, like I can't even keep up with um the amount of people but um I think having that conversation with that group Mm -hmm. like kind of relieved me of the responsibility kind of thing. And then I felt comfortable with um, having more conversations about it, but not feeling I need to console or com- and uh, comfort other people's feelings. Like, it's not to be that I was detached, but I, I could be more like it is, you know, it, of, I, yeah, kind of thing. But, but, okay, so then I don't, I don't want to, I'm glad that you were able to kind of be open about that and then I gather with uh like you know not misery loves company but the fact that you can talk about it and and Mm -hmm. openly is good and then I'm just assuming then uh with like your network specifically with beta right yeah I'm assuming you guys rallied around each other no for sure because like up to that point we had a Facebook group going where you'd share like networking events and we would host networking events at different showrooms but it was the initial response from the OAA of um their black square of um, how can we support the black community? Mm-hmm. And that's when beta really um, came together because we're like, you don't know who your black community is mm-hmm. to say, how can we support you? And it's ironic because um, 
so members reached out um, to and had I, I wasn't involved in that conversation, but they reached out to the OAA and had that conversation of like, where's the data? Because let's start with yeah, that yeah. of where's the data? Because we don't know how many black architects or architects of any ethnicity, any gender, because that's was ironic because that's what beat wanted is mm-hmm. gender, right? Because I was told um, gender in our profession is mostly tabulated by your signature. So when you register, did you say Ms., Mrs., Madame? Oh, okay. Sir or doctor, you know what I mean? And that's how they more or less how gender is tabulated kind of thing. And, um, but not no concrete data. And um, so, and then I think one of the initial comments was like, I guess the OAA was going to address demographics, but six months ago, they didn't see it as an issue at the time. Even though being a member of BEAT for three years, we were just like, we were always like, get the data, get the data, get the data, get the data. So, um, uh, so within that being June and now October, yesterday, I sat at the round table with the OEA Mm -hmm. for their diversity and, I forgot the title of the session, diversity, inclusion, yeah. and equity roundtable. Yeah, and I get down with the lingo. Come on, Camille. Sorry, everything's like an acronym. <laughs> and no, so like at least like so it's funny because um I also yesterday too was doing a presentation through um with university students across Canada, and I used to track um I was having a conversation with um one of my colleagues at Gensler. I used to honestly acknowledge. Um, that point percentage in American data as progress. Because I'm like, everything in architecture takes long. The fact that we went from 0.2 to 0.3, we, they, because it's Black women in the States, um, is progress. But then again, so I think that's what 2020 has even done for myself as the the revisionist Mm -hmm. is like, that's not progress kind of thing by moving up a a zero kind of thing, a same zero. Um, Progress would be getting Canadian data. Progress would be recording our history, Um, even acknowledging what this profession is made of. Progress would even just, even part of our conversation with the round table of the OAA is even um, the profession itself um, because that applies to women and minorities of even being registered architects because at this point, the OAA on a, often only counts architects yeah. versus interns and interns and those between yeah. um, those stages. Um, yeah. So Camille, just moving forward though, um, like when you are dealing with events for BEAT, especially now, do you find that, you know, you're being tapped because of it being so topical? And, and if that's the case, how do you want to make sure that it's kind of sustained? Because we know that things kind of go up and down, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. Greta Thunberg will raise a lot of things about sustainability. And then right now- And COVID happened. Uh, COVID how much plastic happened. I've been seeing go yeah, everywhere. Exactly. I know, exactly. Yeah. Right? So, so how do you make sure that Beta and, and its crew is able to maintain that sustainability? And certainly, if you got any suggestions, because I'm an administrator at Ryerson University. So mm-hmm. let me know. Is there something that you would see as- critical to keep the kind of initiative sustainable and 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 honestly like it seems really strange to me that you know you're saying like just give us the data right give us the data and stats and that Mm -hmm. still hasn't come out so 
if, if they're reluctant to do that, and now with, you know, all of this going on, they're kind of thinking about it. What do you see? As I the think they will, but it, like, um, and because they, they are, and that was a conversation at the roundtable that they will, but just um, ideally, I think um, they're, they're targeting 2022 okay. with okay. registration. And I think they're going through, because even, um, I think, which has been helpful, the RIC and OAA, and those are because we're based in Toronto, those are the only two associations. Right. And we met with like TSA um, um, that Beta has been working with. And again, this is within the last few months because Beta for the most part was working with amongst each other with little firms here and there, but you know, just doing our own thing, like low key. But I think what's important that we all recognize the importance to organize. Mm -hmm. So aside from getting the data, um, we have devised our group in a, in like four tiers. Mm -hmm. So one that's and we have inter interior designers aside from architects. Yeah, yeah, so I, our group I, is interior there. designers. I, Bridget, Bridget and I used to work together way back in the old days. So it's a small. Yeah, small. and because it's it's a similar story for both groups and power and numbers instead of dividing. Um, so we we set up our mission statement and one is outreach to to get that next generation to build the pipeline so that um, like the idea of being an architect is not foreign to kids or to their family and also to the community too. I often make a joke of um, how many Caribbean restaurants do I go to, especially if they're Jamaican. My parents are from Trinidad, but I often use Jamaicans as reference that if they put like a yellow and green flag on the wall and that's it for decor. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, what can architecture and interior design do to your business? And so, therefore, our outreach is to that community as well. To, to like, um, how, because a lot of people are eating the food, but just like, yeah. what can design do to your business? Um, there's, um, there's, I forgot the other ones, <laughs> but um, um, but um, also networking, peer networking. And that's helped a lot because aside from working with other architects or um, interior designers, just working with people within the industry, like manufacturers, textile designers, lighting consultants, so to bridge that network. Um, also working in the universities and education of with student groups, mm -hmm. so that you could build that um, that network and and have references and references and connections as well. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna directly address a couple of those things because I want to make sure I can help you out here, right? Okay. Because because I think that leads on two things, right? Certainly, I'm already putting you on the hook to make sure you can reach out and and engage my students, right? Um, mm -hmm. Both through the podcast, but certainly you're gonna be coming down to give uh, women in architecture uh, panel session um, in, in later on this well, November. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I also and I know that you're playing a role within Ryerson University, but I, I think that for one anything outside of just simply saying hey kids uh there's beta right what else do you think i can do to help on that front because there's there's that connection networking but then the other thing is that i'm, I'm not sure if you noticed but uh we run a we run a camp program so we teach kids i, I teach kids 3d printing laser cutting all that stuff and then this year and every time we do these camps i always make sure 10 percent go to mm -hmm. you know communities from you know of disadvantaged uh, parts of toronto and uh, this year we actually said, well, we're gonna do this all virtually, right? Cause we can't get the kids down on campus. So I actually passed the hat around and uh, one firm in particular, I'll, I'll shout out to Partisans. Uh, they actually put money down where the money, money where their mouth is. They actually spent yeah. some good money getting some laptops. To, and I made sure that the kids that participated, I would be delivering on the weekends. I'd be delivering laptops and taking them back and then bring them to another set of kids. 
and then uh, they'd be connected, right? So mm -hmm. what else? So that's from an outreach side. You know, we were doing this kind of stuff. What else do you think we should be doing to like from your perspective? Yeah. And when you mentioned partisans, um, Amory and I had a good conversation with Alex when this started because I know he expressed his interest mm -hmm. in supporting and he's trying to make the hashtag uh, Black Architects Matter trend. But we we're just like, let that go. Cool, cool. But um, <laughs> um, no, I think it's just um, a lot of times seeing your faces, seeing our work. Right. And it's um, so for something like a camp. And I think um, it's not the assumption that all minorities are coming from disenfranchised neighborhoods or communities not. either no, no. but um also just to see like because teaching is one thing so having black reviewers and mm -hmm. our my visible minority reviewers as well mm -hmm. i speak for on behalf of the bipoc because when again when you speak a lot of times about the black community when you think of this i forgot the terminology but the racial what the hierarchy the what, what hierarchy I, i'm just i'm just thinking of i just read um uh um cast um it's usually like black and white yes. and everybody else is in the middle, in the middle. where yeah. is where they pull so so often when i speak on behalf of the black community it's like if you make the step for the black community it affects it ripples back to everybody else um but it's just to um have subjects like topics um reviewers um, mm -hmm. um so it's not necessarily to give free to give opportunities to the next generation, but also to show everybody that we are here. So mm -hmm. if, um, for instance, again, I studied Roman architecture for right. five years before I went to Italy and right. I knew every sun god terminology, but yep. there was no conversation about slavery, right. about the bodies that made those buildings. Mm -hmm. Like you go, um, you see the purple Egyptian marble. How did it get there <laughs> in like, oh, right back in the day kind of thing we there's there's that conversation is missing from from um our education so i think what our education system can do is show the work and it's because th there's not necessarily opportunities to like do camps and everything but there are examples of architects and architecture and also talk about the impacts of architecture mm -hmm. um francis carey did, did a presentation for the interior design show where yep. he shows the effects of colonization on different African cities, mm -hmm. where they have these, it's years of colonization. You have these like mock um, quote unquote classical buildings that do not match the typology in the, in the, yeah. of the land or the building materials, but culturally was perceived as classic and respected. So yeah. I think we need those conversations in the schools and to be like more in depth of than just pointing regionally of what is what and what is where and and not what was designed but what the impact of the community is and seeing um that because even this guy that they call president um <laughs> uh in the states was trying to um over the summer like regulate the design of all government buildings to quote yep. unquote classical yeah, exactly. buildings exactly so what is that those are european Standards, yeah. Standards, yep. Right, and it's like, um, yeah. That's all I have to say about well, it. It's, it's, not, it's not progressive to say the very least, but I think it's also very, um, unfortunately, you know, single-minded and fixated. But mm -hmm. you know, while we're talking about the, you know, you're talking about showing the work, you're talking about the notion of seeing, 
Um, and and the reality is, let's be honest here, like you probably took it for granted. Again, Waterloo, I was the only colored prof, right? And mm-hmm. a person of color. Teacher. Yeah, because I, I was talking about that the other day, because um, um, the only person I remember doing a review that was a person of color was Bruce Coabera yeah. at the time, right? And um, uh, this was fourth year. And I just, and I remember I'm like, okay, that's Bruce Coabera. And I more knew about Bruce because he's from Hamilton. Yep. I'm going to say Hamilton as much as Waterloo in this podcast. Um, so that was my association. Not that he was a person of color. It was just like, oh, he's from Hamilton. Cool. Right. That guy. Exactly. And then I, and also I remember when he stops talking, I could go to sleep because it was like, <laughs> it was like the term <laughs> deadline. That's what my, that was my, um, but that was the thing. Like the, the thing is, you basically had a very limited exposure to mm-hmm. uh, people of color in not only educational capacity, but of, of certain authority, right? Yeah. And and I, you know, I take it. I don't take it lightly that that's what I am in, in my role, right? Like I know that um, it doesn't matter if they're Asian or brown, black, doesn't matter. But like I, I like to think that people understand, you know, my truth, my experience. But when you were in school, right? Like you know, the, the biggest challenge is, of course, saying, okay, it'd be great if we can get more people of color in that capacity, right? And I fought tooth and nail. I, I had to, I'm not sure if you were privy to stuff that was behind the scenes, but to, to, to have my position, it was very much a contentious issue, which shouldn't be. If, you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if I said that, you know, to get my job, to be in the position I'm at, that I had to fight for that, you'd be like, that makes no sense. Back mm-hmm. in the day, that was like, yeah, of course, you have to work it, right? Now, I look at it from this side where um, a lot of people are saying, you know what, in, in, in North America, not just in, in, in the Canadian universities, but yeah, we really want to h- find black architecture profs, okay? Because, or, or whether it's in chemistry, like, you know, chemistry, engineering, history, whatever, you want to find, you know, a, that good distribution. The problem is that there's a dearth of them, right? Mm-hmm. If there's like, you know, and it's like, it's like, so, so say for example, Camille, watch this. Camille, if I said, hey, do you want to work at Ryerson? I got a job for you. I got three postings right now. I'm not sure if you noticed, there's three postings for positions in my department for architecture, project management, building science, right? And I'm not saying that you have an amazing chance because you know your, your research agenda or whatever, but it's the thing. It's hard to say I can pull someone who mm-hmm. is a black architect or maybe even a black, like first off, there's not very many black academic architects, right? Like, or, yeah. or, and then at the same time, if, if there are places like universities that have the black architecture prof, right? Guess what? They're going to pay tooth and nail to keep them because they're not going to let them go. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that sounds terrible, but you know, it's true. Right. Mm-hmm. So how, how do I, how do I find a way un, until the time comes when I've got enough of a critical mass, when you've done your job, so it's not 0.3%, but it's like 35, 50%, whatever. Yeah. Right. Uh, when you're working your your side, how about me? I got to find a way to make sure I can get more people at the academic authority level, right? And that's hard, man. So yeah. how, how do you recommend I, I think um, it's probably more, I think that applies to, I've had this conversation with people in the music profession and industry. It's hard to pull, like, because a lot of people are demanding equity now. Yeah. But again, if they're not there, um, you don't want to just be like, well, I tried and that's it. And I think it requires um, like paying it forward kind of thing or paying it back. I don't know which direction, but paying it <laughs> But essentially like you have to, um, for those in academics, um, there's opportunity, like probably, um, probably be more apparent about this, how to get in and how to get involved, keeping networking. And I think that's what we would like to encourage with beta too, is just to, like um, align people with with um, 
what can happen. But I've just, I was in a call yesterday and if I, I believe it's Carlton. I'm just going to mm-hmm. call it a school and it may or may not be correct, but. Um, Carlton is a school and. No, <laughs> no, I no. Talk, I might've been talking to Piper. Was it Piper over there? No, no, I forgot. Sorry. I don't remember. Um, I was in Zoom, it's late. And, um, but what they did, they have professors for like two weeks from the profession, mm-hmm. from from the, so it's like, you can pull in someone to help like adjunct, um, a course for like a month kind of thing. So like, I think that is a possibility with education now. So if you can um, make those connections to those groups and in conjunction with, you know, um, have them teach for a short time Mm -hmm. and then kind of, I think there's flexibility with that in our education system on the subjects. So in case they cannot necessarily commit to a full term, Mm -hmm. but can come in as a as a guest lecturer and um so i think i think it's a, it's a way to start mm-hmm. and then there's those like amory who is teaching at uft yeah. and um so she's making those connections with students on different levels there yeah um and and, and you know what it, it, it's it's important to note that yeah like uh you know it, it for some people it's easy right some people have connections like you know mm-hmm. i i for example i could pull up the phone and be like hey camille that month can you come in uh and then you know i taught you and then i could say hey you know i know farida she she, she did her degree i was a supervisor i'd be like hey farida you want to come down uh kayla she's from ryerson and yeah like so it's easy enough to pull up but but that's that's because i know a lot of people right mm-hmm. but how about like other profs that are from like i'm not going to say names but other profs might not might want to do this right like they're but you know we know that typically I, working, I think it takes um for those other props that want to do it i think the um um the, the difference now versus when we started is the internet you can go on and make an effort Cyberstock black architects well no it, it's worked right because um i was contacted by Eladia smoke at laurentian mm-hmm. and yes. to do a talk to her class and i really appreciate just meeting Eladia because at the time i was talking about 0.2 percent mm-hmm. so this is like 2017 or 2018 i went to laurentian and um and at the time again knowing the stat of let's say 0.2 percent of license architects in the states are black women mm-hmm. but meeting Aladia and her telling me she's one of two or one of the only female indigenous architects in this country that was eye-opening yeah. and, and, and this, sorry I was yeah. gonna say, Camille, that is a hard get because also with the 2015 truth and reconciliation committee that's a government document right that came yeah. out and said, hey guys get your act together you know indigenous representation matters you know what you see is really important and mm-hmm. you know it was a mad fight to try tooth and nail to get indigenous architecture profs. And and like, if you're thinking that 0.2 or 0.3% female black architect is like a yeah. unicorn, it's the same thing for finding like that indigenous architecture prof in Canada, right? So- yeah, and that's like, so meeting her, like just talking to her and just even going to Laurentian and being with those students and just seeing how they, like how the indigenous community teaches mm-hmm. at that school and how they're involved. It, and it's really, um, because I came down for the day to do a talk for the professional practice course, but sitting in the second year studio and um, I think it's a smoke circle. Yes. Yeah. It's a um, smudge, or smudge, smudge, circle? sorry. Yeah, smudge, sorry. Yeah. Um, apologize. Um, but just listening to like 60 kids, Kate Bowman was part of, oh, of um, yeah. the, uh, the TAs there. And, but I didn't even notice Kate there at first because 
they went individually to each person mm -hmm. and each person voluntarily, because if you didn't want to say anything, you didn't have to, but just opened up to their classmates about what was bothering them. And so for instance, what this one gentleman, he was recently engaged, but his fiance wasn't going to take his last name. Mm -hmm. Another gentleman talks about his little brother being um, developmentally different mm -hmm. and them traveling on a bus together. And it's a, it's a cute, it's a, it's a nice story because his brother was moving around on the bus right. while everybody else was sitting, staring straight. And he was just like, he's always, as his brother's protector, always telling him to sit still. But at the end of the day, he's having fun while we're all yeah, like exactly. normalized, just sitting straight and not moving. And this is just either way, just going around and just telling open stories. Like, and I just appreciate that how vulnerable they were and how open they were with each other. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's the fact that they're in Sudbury yeah. and um, removed from the campus and that made their bond stronger. Um, but uh, it was, yeah, so, and also the reason why Ladia invited me as well, because they have a high, as you, as I was talking to you earlier about Ryerson, they have a higher, like they have a more um, demographically rich yeah, student body exactly. um, compared to other schools of design and architecture. Yeah, but I mean, l l just talking about the makeup, I think that's still, we can always do better, right? And yeah. that brings me to another point, because as much as when you and I were in, the empire studying, right? It was very mm -hmm. much a lot of Caucasian faculty members. And I mean, you had like all four, I think at that point it was might've been three or two, maybe Mary Paul and Terry, and that was about it, right? So you had two female profs. And, uh, you know, when I came and- Kathy Valkov um, was my- She wasn't full though. Oh yeah, yeah, she left the year I left too. Yeah. So basically, and, and congrats Kathy to going down to Michigan. You did great over there. So I'm just, <laughs> uh, but in, when I came from uh, from Waterloo to Ryerson, right? It was like, I went to the United Nations. Like not mm -hmm. only did my, like I go to the faculty lounge and there's like colored profs, people of different ethnicities, people of different religious backgrounds, people of different sexual orientations. Like it was, it was like, wow. Like, and then you go to the classroom and oh my goodness, did you know? Like, like I was like, holy cow, like, where were these people when I was studying architecture or worse still, where were these people when I was teaching in, mm -hmm. you know, in, in Waterloo, right? So it was really insane, but I still think that we need to get more. So let's talk about that. How do I get more students from different demographics to actually know about this? There's little stuff like this where I'm talking to you right now. And again, we talked about like a lot of high school kids are listening to this and, uh, you know, they now kind of understand, hey, I am a person of color and you know what? I, I, my parents might not have seen this as a career. I should have been in medical school or law, or law mm -hmm. school, but you know, I see design as an interesting opportunity. They got a little bit of confidence now, but what else can we do to really uh, uh, pave the way for them? I think it's like, it has to be approached on many levels and many spheres, many, I, I think there's a community-based aspect about it of just literally um, reaching out to the community. I think there's responsibility with our design associations, mm -hmm. like whether it's TSA, OEA, RAIC, Hopefully everybody knows those acronyms. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, put, I'll put a few notes on that one. Okay. Um, you make me work for this. Community. I know. Vince warned me about abbreviations. Um, I think there's responsibility on those groups to promote the um, the profession to different groups and different demographics. Um, well, well, and, 
can we talk about that though the promotion issue so i mean there's one thing to say yeah we got an event yeah we got uh you know mm-hmm. uh, kunle adiyemi's coming i mean great guy great great work you know uh, amazing but i mean at the end of the day there's other things that kind of are barriers to getting in like say for example uh to pay tuition to study architecture in say waterloo versus if you're staying at home at, with your parents in toronto at ryerson mm-hmm. that's going to be one thing and then like let's talk about the the other financial barrier the other barrier which is the finances like let's be honest here education's not getting cheaper yeah. So how about the issue, like, do you think that um, scholarships and like corporate sponsorships would, would really be critical to make this happen? Because I, 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 I've been already in discussions with my dean about possibly facilitating these types of you know, relationships. But from your perspective, would, would that have like had a huge impact? I think it's helpful because I was, um, it's a conversation I had with Alex Josephson earlier a few months ago. Yep because um, he was looking to do a scholarship through Partisan. Mm-hmm. But then when he connected to UFT, there not was- me, no. Not to me, just letting you know, it was, yeah, I know that the, there was that issue, right? Yeah. Say it, just, say it, just say it. That there is money there. Uh, that there there are certain conditions in certain instances. Yeah, but it's just, it was to qualifying students. So, um, so I think there's a difference between giving students in the program money versus um, students who wanting to enroll. So I think mm-hmm. there's a difference with that. Yep. But um, so I think financials help, but I think financial is not the only barrier. So that's, um, so I think it's one aspect um, because, and I think this is just coming from my perspective. The, the, um, like, I, should, I would have taken more money. Not, if, you, I remember I told you PG thirteen can be. Oh, shoot! I would have taken more money going through school, but like, um, yeah, and I think that's um, it, it is a factor, especially because um, like school is expensive. Because mm-hmm. even like I remember like to get a computer. Um, from day one and even though I like I didn't do it but um, to get a computer from day one because I really liked hand drawing um, but even the software to print like all that it's been a conversation and uh, you make models um, it's it's it is an expensive program kind of thing yeah, exactly. and um, so finances would be a help but I think when I say the 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 um, the um, financial incentive no financial incentive is one thing but I think they can do better about like our institutions that we pay money to, to market the profession is just general outreach. Um, so finance is one thing, but just get involved. There are some groups and organizations that, um, and I think t- too, like when we, for instance, when we do like design festivals in Toronto, is it limited to downtown Toronto to like quintessentially white areas mm-hmm. of the city? Like when do we, like can can we not have events in different parts yeah. of this city? And I'm just talking about Toronto as, a, as an example. So like to other areas, is there projects from different parts of the city that can be highlighted and celebrated, whether in person when we're allowed outside again, mm-hmm. or um, in the media, in the marketing, that this, um, um, I don't want to say like stereotypical community center, but this building or this housing project is to be recognized and awarded. Um, for whatever reason in detail. So I think our, so that's busy, that's beyond our profession, but even our, our writers and like um, um, our, 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 our like whether it's Azure or Canadian architect, our media, um, if they can take an interest in other communities so that when they see, cause even doing, um, when I did the CBC special um, 
at my sister's school. She taught at Jane and Finch. Mm -hmm. And the teachers, like one of the comments from one of the teachers were there, was like, it's nice to see the media here for something positive. So instead of some like negative like story, it's like, let's feature these areas where more diverse, diverse communities happen for something where you celebrate a building. So whether, um, I know there's like the shift challenge with the OEA, um, but is there an opportunity that the OEA have a program for communities that need help architecturally? And then then pro bono design firms compete to help revitalize these areas because design can do that. So it's like, I think that's a way, then this way, if you integrate in the community, then I think you can help build the pipeline because the community will see what design did um, by and what designers do and how they had an impact on that group. You know what? I agree 100%. And um, that's something that prior to the pandemic, we were actively doing, like whether it's uh, helping do uh, pro bono work, um, mm-hmm. whether it's freedom by design or helping like interventions for like schools in, in, the, in the neighborhood that we're in. Um, and, and certainly offering programming to the kids because you're absolutely right. Like the kids and the community has to see the opportunities. Like with that stuff that we were talking about with Alex and, and the, the computers and the summer programs, I should actually show you some of the stuff that mm-hmm. the, the kids not only produced, but also what they actually said. Like they, they wrote us notes, thank you notes. Um, mm-hmm. And we didn't ask them. They just, it was like unsolicited. And it was like, look, uh, one of the most powerful messages was I never would have seen design as a career choice. Like this mm-hmm. is coming from like a 12 year old kid, right? Who's basically, we just taught him how to make Photoshop and like, you know, like fake ID and like, you know, just 3D models and stuff. But this kid was saying, listen, this is uh, incredible stuff. And I see a whole wealth of career paths from like animation to like art. Yeah, and I think that's important too. It's like architecture is one thing, but there's so many other things like that are, are oh. professional adjacent that if you encourage and see what it does, that you can start getting people in that direction kind of thing. Yeah. Cause I literally had a drafting board in my house. I didn't know what it was. I just know my dad had a big table and um, I messed up his drafting. Like he had scales. Mm-hmm. To me, those were fancy, fancy rulers. Yeah. And I had put highlighter and scissor marks all over it. And then he had a pie, he had a soot thing that had black dust Yeah. kind of thing. So I'm like, open it up. Black dust was everywhere kind of thing. Uh, you, you, so but actually, I have a quick question about your father discussion because you, you're, you're commenting about him saying, don't go into architecture, go into engineering. Was that because he felt that women or specifically black women are not represented there? Or was it because it was a financial incentive to actually do engineering? Or was it a cultural thing where engineering is better than architecture? I think it was more the financial incentive. Yeah. Okay. But I don't think he explained that. Okay. Okay. Because I remember my father <laughs> telling me the same thing. Uh, he didn't say Camille shouldn't be an architect, but he said, Vince, don't go and become an architect. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I'll show you. Uh, and that's when I applied to be the priest. And then the, he was like, what the hell? Um, so that, that yeah. didn't work out so well. So I just want to close off by asking a couple of, before I go into lightning round, okay? Cause I know- Oh shit, that, oh shoot. God, man. <laughs> Camille, man. <laughs> shoot. Okay, okay sorry. Not, okay, okay. So Camille, just like we've been asking about like what we can do. And, you know, we talk about networking, mm-hmm. we talk about opportunities, we talk about changing up like dimensions of the curriculum, you know, exposure. In, 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 in your view, is there one last thing that, because remember, I also have my colleagues, my, my faculty colleagues, they're mm-hmm. listening, right? And I think a lot of students are woke enough to know what's going on, right? But mm-hmm. I just want to know from your perspective as like, and unfortunately, I hate to say it again, that you are like the voice right now, like the, the face of, of a lot of female Black architecture in Canada. Um, what would you say is something that the university or my department should be doing to make things better? I think um, 
like I think one one of the low hanging fruits or something you could do now is just talk about it and acknowledge it. And um, I think because even my experience with Waterloo's Rome program, mm-hmm. like forget COVID, I don't know if they're going there, but um, I'm not like. Why do you always want to talk about? Okay, for the record, no. I am not talking trash about the empire. I'm, uh, no, like- I'm not either. I like. I really loved the undergrad. It was great on the record and i'm part of the task force um no so what i'm saying is that you can just like with even with what you're teaching how do you teach it what do you talk about so something as simple as architectural history let's mm-hmm. let's take into consideration all history if we're talking about buildings or narratives mm-hmm. or um or even who we feature and what we celebrate yeah. i think that's important so because there's people that are doing like um, francis carey did coachella last mm-hmm. year yep like let's talk about that and it's not necessary like let's talk about a black architect but let's show the work of yeah different communities and it's and i think that's also important is um because that was one of the comments that beta initially had with the oaa because oaa was like let us, we can tell your stories. And it's not our personal stories that we want to share mm-hmm. on a provincial or national platform. We just want to bring awareness to a group and to support, but just show the work mm-hmm. at the same time. So I think what people, what everyone can do now is show the work and talk about the work and talk in, and if you don't know, just say you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and like it be, and admit that you don't know, just, you don't have to be like all knowing about everything and just wherever it falls, let somebody else pick it up mm-hmm. of where you can, um, where you can't. And um, yeah, so I think that's one thing. Okay. All right. So is this lightning okay. round? No, that, that, was not, that is lightning, this is lightning round. Okay. Ready? Okay. You ready? Okay. All right. I'll try not to swear. Cause yeah, please. Come on, man. You're making okay. me work overtime on this. Okay. It's favorite French. architect, favorite architect. What? Um, I'll say Francis Cray. Oh, okay. Favorite building. Um, man, it's funny. I always want to go to, uh, oh, this is not lightning round. You should have prepared me. <laughs> no, because that's that, like, apparently um, slow where you, <laughs> come on, <laughs> hit me. Hit me. <laughs> oh, uh, I've asked this before and I never give a straight answer. Um, there's a, I'm just going blank now. Camille, if you have to think about this, like I know, because like I just got nostalgic of when I was allowed to travel. Then I went to Paris in my head. I'm like, oh, I remember I used to like shop on the Champs Elysees. Now you can't go there. Um, I don't, I don't know. Oh my Can gosh. I come back to that? No, pass, okay, pass, what's, pass. What's the worst building? Uh, I was in something recently. Um, like the stockyards suck. But uh, Wait, the worst building ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no people who worked on that. <laughs> No, um, the worst building. You should have prepared me, Vince. No, I, no. I, Again, lightning rounds don't work this way. I should have been staged. Um, <laughs> like I, uh, I feel like I'm frozen. I it did have a worst building in my head. Oh, Is another um, class. Yeah, there's 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 things I don't like about some buildings, but I wouldn't say it's all the worst. Like you know, there's um the rom. Like I don't like necessarily the finishes, kind of thing. Um. Yeah, go on, pass. I think we're consistent. Everyone says the ROM. It's just inevitably comes across, man. So Daniel okay. must be hating on me hard. Yeah, it's, I think it's just value engineering kind of thing at that. Okay, no, no, it's all, it's all good. So what would you be doing if not architecture? I'd be, um, I went through my A's when I was younger, archaeologist, um, advertising, and then architecture. But I think in hindsight, I, I do law right now. Okay, all right. I like think- criminal law or like, you know, the the... the- Nice I just think if I can time. argue and get paid for it, I think it'd be uh, oh, a lucrative career. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think um, if I had like, spare time, I'd do law. Okay. 
what do you do for fun? Oh, what I do for fun is it would be carnival. It would be like, I, and it sounds weird, but like um, carnival, Dine en Blanc. It's just like the, the, the dressing up and like um, expressing yourself differently and kind of thing. So carnival's fun. I would do that for fun. Um, do other things I do for fun. Um, I was thinking more along lines like volleyball or cooking, but okay. That, that's, that's Now um, I do uh, groups to diversify the profession of architecture for fun. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Let's keep on going. What was the, what was your worst course when you were in school? Oh, um, what I would say ugh, it wasn't necessarily structures because I don't think I, um, but you didn't like it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, it's like, uh, it's funny. Cause it's like, I remember doing a John McMahon studio course and mm-hmm. not understanding what the hell, what he was talking about. But now John invites me to do professional practice at Waterloo every year. So I think I've come full circle. Um, <laughs> Okay. That, yeah. So that's okay. So structures, I want to say, and then tell me, who's your favorite prof when you or memorable, most memorable prof when you were in school? Uh, professor. Um, Philip Beasley. Mm-hmm. I remember him. Um, I just remember Van Pelt distinctively because he like was like the second day of school and he came in with a coffee stain on his shirt. But um, <laughs> um, I also liked working with. Uh, Dominic and Mary and and um and uh, Mary and Paul McDonald Mary Paul McDonald yes because she was um our our M1 studio so just I did M1 in Montreal so there's like six of us and um it's just so I just remember her she her teaching style was just different laid back I know laid back it's just unique okay second last question what is the one piece of advice you'd give to an architecture student right now that's listening um it's advice that Tyra Banks gave a model on one of those episodes of uh, <laughs> um, is be memorable and st- like um, make yourself stand out and connect. So, uh, so I think I would give to anybody and what I do portfolio reviews is get your LinkedIn ready and um, whoever you meet, make that connection so that you stand out. So put your hand up when you can follow up with old employers, follow up with old reviewers. And just, I would think just get in there, even if you don't understand, mm-hmm. um, let them tell you, you don't understand, fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. That's, that is the message you're gonna say? Okay, yeah. fine. I lied about knowing Revit when I applied to KPMB. Okay, why you say that stuff, man? We're supposed to be giving a good <laughs> And then, no, but like I learned it. And then by the time, like years later, I was the resident Revit expert. As long as you can plausibly make it, fake it. Okay. Uh, the opinions expressed are those of Camille Mitchell, not of Vince Boyer, Ryerson, Architectural Center. Okay. Okay. So last question. This, you can, this is a longer question. Okay. This yeah. is the last one. But can you just give a fun story or a funny story from when you were an architecture student? Like I can think of a bunch when you were a kid, like as you, were, you and I were talking previous to recording, we were talking about like me throwing you in the, I think you said, Vince, you th- last time I remember uh, the m- most memorable thing I had with you is when you threw me and a couple of other girls in the closet. And I was like, what are you saying? And, yes. like, and then you made us sing. And then that was when we made a, a girl band. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I have, I have a lot of uh, memories of Waterloo and Waterloo. Um, one of the things I did <laughs> was a birthday column. So um, my birthday's in March, just saying. So like first year studio. Um, because back then you used to write on the walls. Yep. I, I took my time and it was a means of procrastination, admittedly, 
that I wrote everybody's birthday mm-hmm. on this column so I that by it. the time March came, everyone's like, oh, happy birthday. And then the following term being second year, we were in a different studio and someone's like, are you going to redo the birthday column? And I'm like, no, because by the time March hits, we're in a work term. So I don't see selfish <laughs> point. So then it was just like, oh, but then it was like, after a conversation with other people, I had to redo it. And then that stayed with us even into the new school and it, even into Italy. Like we would write on a piece of paper, everyone's oh, birthday. Yeah. In, in the, oh, wow. The, so like March being March and February were the most birthdays of my class. Mm-hmm. So even now I could tell you, Aaron Corcoran was on the 14th of March. Carrie was on the 13th. Yeah, like oh Kristen God. Speth was on the 31st. Kelly was on all these March. Taylor yeah. and uh, um, Chloe had the same birthday. Alvin, Adam were all March. I still know that any, m- many years later. So, and, I, and that's one thing about architecture school. Um, I always talked about Waterloo being comparable to my kindergarten experience mm-hmm. because you got to play with the same you played and sleep in the, slept in the same room with the same kids mm-hmm. all day. And I appreciate that because this many years later, I still know where all those people are and it's a good, reliable resource. So yeah. connect with your class is another advice I'd get. Yeah, that's a very good one. And, and you know what really was good? Because remember when your class graduated, you guys had that book come out. I have a copy of that book, that blue book, the blue uh, book with. The, yeah, you remember? You remember this? It was like it was like a yearbook, but for all of you guys from day one. all the Yeah, way yeah. And uh, I, I remember I keep all the stuff my kids do. So I was I looking at that and flipping it through and man, yeah, it's, it's been so long, but uh, mm-hmm. um, I, I definitely am really old and I'm really glad to see that you kids are doing so well for yourselves. Kids, and you're not that old. And we're going to edit that out. Um, <laughs> uh, give me my prune juice, man. Um, okay. so, so thank you very much for your time. I know that we, we had an epic episode, but uh, listen, I am very pleased to see where you're at. Uh, you know, it makes me feel like I've succeeded. And it certainly makes me feel good to know that you're doing so well and actually advocating for a lot of things that uh, certainly need more progress and, and, mm-hmm. and, and address. But thank you for all the hard work that you're putting into that. Thank you, Vince. I have one request. When you play this out, can you play it to some cool music, some like good soul music with a good bass? No, in because the I got no royalty-free bass. Like, come on, I can't get Okay, like, on some drums, some beats. When you play out the music, I don't want no, like, piano key. I need some, like, beats when this thing fades away. Like, people are like, oh, yeah, and they're, like, bopping their head to the end of this. Wait, I'm doing requests now? <laughs> look, I gotta do royalty-free stuff. But look like I got money, man. This is, like, a just look a beat so people are like nodding their head they're like yeah she said something like, something really deep there and they're like they leave with that beat that's yeah that's real you know i'm gonna keep that part in now okay, okay. <laughs> all right thank you thank you much. all right take care